Welcome to Moroccan American, a podcast about Morocco and the United States. These two countries have maintained a consistent and long-term friendship over centuries, even while their common interests have not always perfectly aligned. What started this relationship and what has sustained it? Diving into the fields of diplomacy, literature, trade, and art, in this podcast, we'll dissect different parts of the Moroccan-American friendship and try to better understand this fascinating, complex, and close relationship. I'm your host, Graham Cornwell. Thanks for joining us. Orientalism. It's a big word, a loaded word. It recalls both the artistic movement reaching its apex in the 19th century and Edward Said's landmark book of the same title, which, of course, criticizes that very movement. You may know some of the iconic names of Orientalist painting. Delacroix, Jérôme, Géricault. But less talked about is the work of American Orientalist painters. People like Edwin Lord Weeks, Frederick Arthur Bridgman, and others were well known in the second half of the 19th century, in large part due to the work they produced during and inspired by their visits to Morocco. What brought these American painters to Morocco? How did they depict Moroccan society? And what set their work apart from their contemporaries? On this episode of Moroccan American, we are joined by Khaled Shaush, professor of English at Sultan Moulay Suleiman University in Beni Malau, to talk about this often overlooked artistic connection between Morocco and the U.S. To start us off, uh, Professor Shaush, what is Orientalism? Could you give us a just a, a concise definition? So it's the sum of um, uh, paintings that were made by European travelers, especially at the beginning, French and French uh, and British uh, travelers to North Africa and to, to the Middle East. And of course, at the beginning, it was a little bit mixed up with uh, some imagination and fantasy. But once the travelers made the trip to uh, North Africa, especially to, to Morocco and Algeria, uh, things began to change. And of course, uh, there were more, a little bit more realism, especially in the case of uh, American uh, traveling painters. Uh, so we just classify them Orientalist uh, painters because they painted the Orient in, in that way in the 19th century which was a little bit mixed, a mixture between reality and authentic, uh, uh, I mean, uh, between authentic reality and a little bit fantasy and imagination. So when I think of Orientalism, I think of, like you said, French painters from the 19th century, primarily Delacroix, uh, Jerome. um, Exactly. You know, I'm thinking even Delacroix makes this visit to the Sultan and, in the 1830s as part of a French delegation. Um, and then exactly. I mean, I'm aware that there, there are other Orientalist painters from elsewhere, but I, I don't really know much about American Orientalists. So who are the primary American Orientalist painters? Okay, I didn't hear the last part of the question, but I, I think you are talking about American Orientalists. Um, exactly. You know, by the 1830s, of course, yes, by the, anti- the, the 1830s, uh, a, a number of French uh, Orientalists, French painters came to Morocco, especially to Algeria first. They came to Algeria first after the uh, occupation of Algeria. Uh, and then a, a number of American painters went to Paris for the sake of art. 
and they made a double migration or double immigration. They went to Paris and then they follow suit, if you like, their uh, French peers and uh, and they came to uh, North Africa looking for the same subjects that were used by their French predecessors. I can talk, you have mentioned the word of uh, the name of uh, Delacroix. You can also talk about Jean-Dominique Auguste Ingres, uh, who, who, who made the, the, La Grande Odalisque in 1814, as early as, as 1813, which was at the beginning of the 18th century. And then Odalisque Escla- Esclave, which means Odalisque and Slave in 1840, uh, in 1834. Uh, Eugène, Eugène, Eugène de la Croix, Eugène de la Croix, uh, was in Morocco as early as 1832. And, uh, one of his works, one of his uh, preceding works, which was made before he's coming to the North Africa, was La Mort de Sardanapolis, which means la, la, the death of Sardanapalus, uh, which was, of course, inspired by work of uh, Byron. Uh, you have also painters such as Jean-Léon Jérôme, Gustave Boulanger, Benjamin Constant. All these were considered as masters of the French Orientalism and French painting in Paris. So American painters came to Paris, came to France, and then, of course, they were inspired by these uh, painters, but they were inspired by other things. I can talk about this about a little bit uh, about uh, other influences of American uh, painters uh, who came to uh, to Morocco. What uh, happened with with those kinds of uh, with that kind of school? Of course, there were two academies academies in 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 Paris. There was l'Académie Julien. And uh, l'école des beaux arts de Paris, or the, if you like, the school of fine art in 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 Paris, under the uh, artistic uh, uh, patronage of uh, Jean-Léon Jérôme uh, himself. Uh, well, that's if you like the, the influence of the French on the American uh, painters at the beginning. But of course, there were other influences. If you like me to to talk about these other influences that pushed the American painters to 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 paint Morocco. Yeah. So I mean, first, I just to understand. So. We had um, American painters are going and training in these schools and in those schools they're interacting with and sometimes trained by some of these prominent French Orientalist painters like Jerome or Ang. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, please. I I mean, what else is influencing? Yes. Okay. Uh, Just before coming here, of course, they were influenced like other other American readers. They were influenced by things such as the Arabian Nights, the Arabian Nights book stories. Uh, when I when I say the Arabian Nights, I'm not talking about only the the stories as a book, but I'm talking also about the editions, the the English translations of the Arabian Nights. The first translation in French was in 1704 uh, by Antoine Galland. But, uh, but later on, there were English translations. But what is important, this is a very important, I would like to underline if it is possible. It has to do with the illustrations that accompanied the editions of the Arabian Nights. Those kinds of illustrations, I think they, they a little bit created or, if you like, um, uh, freezed the imagination of certain things. Things having to do with architecture, with costume, with the complexion of the people, with the baggy trousers, with the transparent veils, and the, so so the, the illustrations. I, I think they played a little bit. Uh, they played they played a very important role. In addition to this, of course, there were the uh, legacy of Washington Irving, who, who was writing too much about uh, Andalusia, and then 
some some American illustrious, some American uh, painters such as Peter Frederick Wethermill. He was influenced by the writings of Washington Irving in his uh, tableau, in his painting, which is called Ultimus Spero del Moor, or The Last Sigh of the Moor, which was in 1864. Yeah, uh, this is just to to say that this kind of literature, which is at at the same time a rental literature, and also local literature by Washington Irving, the, the great uh, figure, American figure of literature, uh, who, who influenced, and of course there were other influences. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a case of American painters simply coming to Paris, coming to France to learn, you know, to train, and then discovering this world. It's that they had some exposure to it beforehand. In the uh, in reading Arabian Nights and seeing the accompanying illustrations, but also in Washington Irving, a very prominent American writer, they would have known Tales from the Alhambra. Um, exactly. Like that. Exactly. Definitely. Definitely. But but there was a kind of evolution. We cannot we cannot be essentialist on this point and say that what they were influenced and then that kind of influence the come came out in, in their tableaus. Once once they came to Morocco, they found another. Uh, to a certain extent, another kind kind of light, and then maybe they found a lot of things that they were uh, expecting, but they found other things, and they, I, I'm sure uh, many of them uh, changed their uh, manner or their styles of painting. But but this is more particularly in the case of uh, uh, the American uh, painters. Uh, if I if I should talk about the difference between um, the American artists and the European uh, ones, there is a great deal. Uh, we can talk about this uh, later. I mean, the sure. difference between the difference, the distinguishing features, if you like, of the American painters as compared to their uh, French and more particularly uh, Italian counterparts uh, uh, or Italian peers. I think it's, uh, there is a great and neat difference, especially if you like difference having to do with uh, more realism, and more authenticity to a certain extent in, in rendering the Moroccan scenes and spectacles. So you find that the American Orientalists are display a greater sense of realism and attention to it, detail. Exactly. As, as, um, as compared to their French predecessors and also to the, to the British, even to the British compared to the British, uh, they are less prone to fantasy and to uh, to imagination. They're a little bit more realist, and there is uh, more realism. Uh, we can give examples, if you like, in for instance, in the uh, description of peoples and individuals in European painters. You have faceless multitudes. You have host of beggars. You have Moorish individuals. You have women in the harem with naked bodies. I'm talking about European painting. Uh, whereas in the American painters, you have more individualized persons. You have portraying, portrait uh, mm-hmm. more than uh, other kinds of uh, uh, scenes and spectacles. Uh, for instance, in the, um, for instance, in the description of women, you have, you have uh, individual women, even though they are in the harem or on the terrace, they are individual, they are authentic women, authentic Moroccan women, as you can see them at that time, of, of, even as you can see them uh, today, because a lot of things that haven't changed uh, from that time, oh, from that time. But in, in, in European rendering, it, you will find too much fantasy, too much uh, imagination. Uh, I'm talking mainly about uh, Italian painters, maybe 
The reason is that Italian painters, most of them did not come to the Orient, neither to Morocco or Libya or the, to the Middle East, whereas uh, the British and the Americans made the move. And yet there is, as I said, a neat difference between British painter, painters, British and French painters on one side and American painters on the other side. For instance, when they are showing uh, people, um, prominent people, in European painters, you will find the Wally, uh, I mean, the the governor and the, the people around him, then the uh, servant. You, if it is a woman, it's the sheriff. I mean, the main lady with with the servant, either male or female. Whereas in American painters, painting paintings, I mean, you will find uh, ordinary women, even within, either within. Uh, the harem or outside the harem on the terrace or in the street, you will see uh, ordinary women. Maybe this has to do with the intellectual heritage and uh, um, of, of the American uh, painters. Could you tell us a little bit more about their trips to Morocco? Um, you know, who are they and, and when are they coming? Where are they visiting when they come to Morocco? Yes, so, uh, if, if you would like to, to give a list of them, uh, I have in my research throughout uh, about 25 years of research, I'm, because I'm teaching a course on, on American and British uh, painters on Morocco to, to, to Moroccan students. I have recorded 17 uh, American painters. 17 who came to, who, Okay. Wow. 17, yes. Uh, they are not all of them. You will find maybe there are others, but these are the the painters that I have recorded, and I have, uh, of course, I'm works uh, of, of these painters. I mean, uh, 17 painters, I can give uh, some names uh, here with their uh, works. And, of course, we're going to choose some of them to talk about their trips, uh, especially their trips, uh, how they, they came to uh, to Morocco. So uh, to begin about the summative list, if you like, of these painters, you have names such as... Uh, Robert Swain Jefford, uh, Samuel Coleman, Louis Comfort Tiffany, uh, Frederick Arthur Bridgman, Humphrey Moore, Edwin Lord Weeks, uh, John Singer Sargent, who is very famous in the, in the, in the, in the States, uh, Albert uh, Pinkham Ryder, Marcus Waterman, James Well Champney, uh, Edmund Aubrey Hunt, Arthur Schneider, Henry Henry Osawa, Os, Osawa Tanner, who is, uh, who was an Afro-American at that time in, in, and who came to, to Morocco in 1903. He came, of course, he worked at the, at the end of the 19th century, but he, he, he came to Morocco in 1903. Uh, th- then, uh, you have also a female, uh, painter, uh, who is Alice uh, Shield, and then William Mary Chase, uh, Jean-Léon Jérôme Ferris, it's not the French uh, painter, Jean-Léon Jérôme. It's Jean-Léon Jérôme Ferris, who is, uh, named, who was named after the French, uh, uh, painter because his father liked that, that, that painter. And then at, at the end you have, uh, uh George Elmer uh, Brown. So this, this is just a summative list of these painters. If I short, short to, if I should talk about, uh, their coming to, uh, the 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 Morocco uh, to to Morocco. Um, there were itineraries. We talked about their migration, if you like, their artistic uh, travel from Paris to Morocco. But in addition to this, there were those kinds of travel itineraries that were made by Americans to Europe. And of course, once they are in, once they were in in Spain, they were of course 
are tempted by the idea of going to the Orient. And the Orient is just across the, 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 the Straits of Gibraltar, uh, 14 kilometers. So they came to Morocco, especially to Tangier, uh, which was a, a kind of minor cosmopolitan city with a lot of people. So they, they went, they came to Tangier. It's, it's an Orient by the Carthage, if you like. It's, it's the Orient by the continent. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very close uh, spot of the uh, Orient. So many of them made those kinds of, uh, those kinds of uh, moves. And if I talk, if I would like to, if, I'd li- if you'd like me to talk about, for instance, uh, uh, Bridgman, he was uh, uh, Frederick Arthur Bridgman. Okay, so 1847, 1928, he was considered as uh, Jean-Léon Jérôme's student, together with Edwin Lord Weeks. Uh, they are the American painters now most identified with Orientalist uh, subject uh, 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 matter. Uh, so he he traveled to uh, Morocco, and of course, I have a, a series of tableaux. I, I mean, I said it's a series of tableaux, but one of them, uh, of which I will talk a little bit later, is his tableau, which is called Aisha, a woman of Morocco, 1883. Uh, as for John Singer Sargent, I will come back to this tableau to talk a little bit about in detail about this tableau. Uh, as for another uh, painter, uh, John Singer Sargent, 1856-1925. Like most prominent American painters of the time, he studied painting in Paris. And he made, of course, two travels in, in Morocco, two artistic travels, if you like. Uh, one of them it was as early as 1880. And uh, the heat of Morocco came as a sudden change from the fluid, fluid climate of, of, of Spain. It was in Spain. Of course, this kind of climate, according to some scholars, this kind of change of climate was welcome. And the weather changed and work moved into daylight. For instance, Dodge Thompson say about this. These scintillating sketches record Sergeant's, Sergeant's encounter with the intense light of North Africa, the same revealing light which soon captivated Matisse and Kadinsky in Morocco and turned Western painting toward abstraction. He's even talking about how this kind of light of Morocco influenced this painter to move a little bit more uh, from maybe to veer away from uh, realism to something else. But of course, we are going to keep in realism because, because that was the style that, that, um, that stamped most of those uh, uh, painters. Uh, one of his works, which is my favorite, my favorite work is the one which is entitled Grey Amber Smoke, Tangier, in 1880. That's a very good one. I mean, I feel that's uh, something that I favor too much and I study too much and I, I can talk about this. this kind of, well, kind of, yes, uh, tell us what draws you to that. What, what draws you to that painting? Yes, it's a painting of a woman who is in the process of fumigation, which is, she is there to inhale some kind of smoke, uh, to drive away, uh, according to Europeans, to drive away uh, evil uh, uh, spirits. But of course, in, in Moroccan tradition, you have this. You have also, it's just for the sake of having a good uh, smell. But but I, uh, I agree with the painter that here, in this case, it's, it's a woman, and she's, of course, uh, wearing outdoor clothes, which means that she's not at home. She's not in the harem. In the harem. She is in what could be uh, located as a as a shrine. Okay, so this painting, Grey Amber Smoke, was well received by American audiences. This tableau, this painting, shows a scene, a scene that actually Flamox's scholars, who were unable to pin it down with 
any any precision or historical accuracy. But for Moroccans, it's very clear she is in a in a shrine, and of course she's in the process of fumigation. Um, this uh, translucent painting is intended to depict the ritual of fumigation that is still practiced by uh, Moroccans uh, toward of evil uh, uh, spirits. The word amber in the title is not the right one because this is not the substance they use in, in, in fumigation for this case. And yet for a Moroccan spectator, the whole picture is a beautiful and meticulous reconstruction of a typically Moroccan scene. The dress is very authentic and is very beautiful. And what is important is the, is showing the face of the, the lady from, if you like from, if you, if I may use a film technique, it's, it's from a low angle technique. From a long, or low angle, it's a long angle shot of the face. Even though she's show, she's hiding a little bit her head in order to have too too much smoke. Uh, we can see the details of her beautiful face. I say the, her beautiful face because American travelers, when they came here, they saw women in the street, and of course their faces were hidden. So they, some of them would say. It would wonder if it was a beautiful face or an ugly face. Others say that it's an ugly face. Uh, it's a little bit comic. But for the painter, it's as though he had a glimpse, a short glimpse on the lady while she was in this process of fumigation because she lowered her uh, face uh, uh, um, veil. And in this way, he could uh, see her. I mean, what strikes me about it is how empty it is. I guess I'm, I think of Orientalist canvases as being very full of color, sort of like every inch covered in detail or people, you know, when they're street scenes, it's, they're usually very crowded streets. Um, if it's a harem scene, you know, sort of blankets and textiles and tile work kind of adorns the entirety of the painting. Um, but obviously this is very... It's almost solemn. It's it's almost meditative, and um, and is predominantly white. Does, is that is that unique in your experience of Orientalist art? Um, yes, in the case of uh, Orientalist painting, it's, it's it's unique to a certain extent because, um, uh, as I said, this this marks uh, the neat difference between these American paintings and the the Orientalist. Which they really really entire uh, the. Uh, sacrosanct orientalist uh, paintings to, of, uh, of Europeans, especially the French and the Italians. Uh, of, of course, we have here uh, too much white colors and too much uh, paint, too much uh, light. Uh, but this is not the, the case of all those kinds of paintings. We have, as I said, another example, which is of uh, Aisha, woman of Morocco, where we have uh, something uh, different. If you'd like me to talk about this. Uh, I don't know if I have answered your question. Yes, you were talking about the fact that it is a little bit small. Yes, it, there were other uh, paintings by, by Americans and by other Orientalists, which were huge, either on canvas or on paper, which was huge paintings. Uh, but at times, this small detail is, is too much importance. It is, is so much appealing that it has become a kind of uh, uh, painting in itself. Uh, every painting is, in fact, a sum of minor tableaus and minor paintings, uh, but each requires from the painter a plethora of careful and subtle choices on perspective, color, light, distance, and position. But here, uh, I, I think there is too much. Even though we have just a, a part of it, 
I think the figure, the figurative, the figurative uh, form. I mean, the the, the human form in uh, in the painting, which is uh, taking about uh, one third of the uh, of the painting, is maybe uh, the one that the uh, painter want to uh, stress, especially as I said, the the face of the uh, of the lady, which is so clear and so with so much details. Indeed. So I do, you know, I am sort of familiar with Sargent and, and his work, but but you've mentioned um, Bridgman, and I, it, prior to our conversation, um, I, I didn't know about his work and much less his sort of interest in Morocco. Could you yeah. tell us a little bit more about, you know, kind of maybe to start, who is who is Frederick Arthur Bridgman? And uh, okay. what, what are some main works or stylistic um, features that, that stand out to you? Yes, if you, if you like, Bridgman is is uh, too much of a uh, is, is 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 a little bit more Orientalist than the other um, than the other um, I mean the other the other American uh, painters. Uh, as I said, I will talk a little bit about his his uh, his painting Aisha, a Moroccan woman. But before that, yes, uh, we can talk about uh, about uh, about the painter himself. Yes, his tableau is a good example of gender representation. I mean, this uh, this tableau of Aisha. Uh, he he's uh, addressing an Orientalist theme, but but he's keeping a distance from Delacroix's, uh, for for instance, Femme d'Alger dans leur uh, appartement or ladies of Algiers in their apartment. Uh, we have also uh, chatting on the terrace, uh, Marcus Place in North Africa, Idle Moments, an Arab courtyard, which means that he uh, managed to address the different scenes and spectacles of uh, the Moroccan uh the moroccan um the moroccan the moroccan world or the moroccan country at that time uh the level of architecture a lot of the level of people their costume at the level of uh, even the uh the disposition of uh, animals etc with 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 people uh should, should i should i talk about this uh, this uh painting for instance yeah uh, let's yeah let's turn I, to I, Aisha specifically yeah, this is a, a good example, according to me, just according to me. It's, it's a good example of female representation, which is very different from European models. The title is, is in singular, a woman from, a woman of uh, Morocco. And in addition to, to this, you have also the personal uh, name of, uh, of the lady, which means that he is giving her an identity. She is a woman, an ordinary woman, woman in, in in the interior of her house and in, in singular. Of course, as I say, when I say she in, in singular, this is, of course, different from the multitude of women that we can see in the street in other paintings. Uh, and at the same time, uh, she's personalized, if you like. She has a personal name, she, she, she is there, she has an identity. The very dressing of the personal name confirms on her, on her character, more individuality and more familiarity. She is far from being a mid type for a queen or a princess or a sheriff. There is no servant or a slave by her side and no nargile, no need to contextualize. <laughs> Yet the brooding and sad, and sad gaze of Aisha, uh, we are going to see it. And then you see that she's brooding and looking through the window, 
through the grated window. These kinds of uh, brooding and meditation tells a lot about yearnings and desires as felt and perceived by her, or maybe by the American painter, painter on her behalf. Uh, uh, the scene of captivity and imprisonment is most probably intensified by the chiaroscuro nature of the tableau, where the light of the southern altitudes is less felt than in the other tableaus of the same uh, painter. Of course, the light is coming from only one direction. You have here again, here again, you have some rectilinear uh, lines that makes the difference between uh, the outside and the inside. Uh, light is coming on, 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 from the left. So, so from the, le everything from the left is, uh, uh, has this kind of white color. We, we have some kind of dim light. And then there is overlap between the figure, the human figure and the architecture, which is creating a kind of, uh, uh, three dimensional, um, aspect of the, uh, of the, of the scene of the, of the lady and of her surrounding. Uh, we can see a musical instrument uh, by her side, which discarded by her, which means that she is no longer in the mood of playing music or of having fun. She is only meditating and looking outside. Her head is uh, tilted on the uh, on the left, and of course is supported by her hand in a diagonal way. Her hand is uh, is is, is uh, disposed in a diagonal way, which which shows her deep meditation of course we can imagine what she is saying or we can imagine what is happening in her mind or maybe in the mind of the painter the musical instruments on the musical instruments and also on the carpet on the on the floor we have some pattern which is uh, repe repeated and which is creating the uh, essence of the musical uh, instrument the musical instrument it's like it's like a hapsi chord but it's it's the arabic canon al kanun so uh, i think there is a great deal uh, of uh, uh, of authenticity. Uh, of course, once once we say that she's in the harem, it was a little bit. If we want to talk about about the context, it was a little bit difficult for uh, uh, a male painter or a male traveler to get into the harem. Uh, but here we feel that that there is a great deal of authenticity. Um, yes, painter, painters. Uh, had recourse to some some ladies, and of course they uh, asked them to uh, to be as figures, and of course this helped them enormously to recreate uh, this kind of beauty. So, so th that's for Bridgman. Uh, yes. Yeah. So this, I, this is one thing. Yeah. That I, that I wanted to ask about this is, um, I mean, are there things that you see that that situate these paintings, particularly in Morocco? That is yeah. that that are specific to a Moroccan context rather than even an Algerian one or even a uh, Beirut or or Istanbul or other parts of sort of the broader you know quote unquote Orient. And I, I ask this question because you know to me sometimes I see these details and sometimes I I don't and I wonder if part of Orientalism is that um, it it sort of paints the entire region Morocco to Iran or even further in in this in similar ways and depicts them in similar ways, even though, as we know, they're very different you know, and um, uh, lots of different cultural nuances that are missed. Yes, you are definitely right. And this is my point in, in, in indeed. I, I, I'm really very happy that you, you said it yourself. Uh, yes, for many Orientalists, 
in order to contextualize your audience, they choose some elements which have become like stereotypes, uh, palm trees, uh, sand, uh, arches, etc. But I, as I said in this, in the case of these American orientalists, American painters, uh, if I choose, we are talking about Bridgman, if I choose to chat in on the terrace, we have ladies that we see in most of uh, uh, orientalist uh, paintings, but in the background, there is a minaret. This minaret, you can see it, you can find it only in Morocco. So I say that in the background of this uh, tableau, of this painting, which is entitled Chatting on the Terrace, Bavardage sur la Terrasse, Chatting on the Terrace. In this painting, as I said, we have ladies on the, on the terrace, the same ladies that we can find in Morocco or in Algeria, or maybe in other, in other places, but mainly in North Africa. But in what concerns the minaret, which is in the background, it's a Moroccan minaret par excellence. I, when I say minaret, it's the, 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 the tower of a mosque, as you know. Uh, so it's, it's, it's typically, it's typically, uh, uh, Moroccan. But of course, Bridgman has, uh, uh made, uh, other uh, paintings, uh, in the Middle East and even though he chose, there was, of course, at times there were some kind of mixing up uh, of things, exactly as you said at the beginning in, in, in your in your in your first uh, remark. If you take, for instance, marketplace in North Africa, marketplace in North Africa, everything in 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 the painting is is North African. It could be in uh, in Morocco or in Algeria. In what concerns, I mean the the costume, the architecture. But uh, in what concerns the architecture, uh, there there are two balconies uh, which do not belong indeed to the North African region. They they rather belong to Cairo or to uh, Syria rather than to North Africa. And of course, it's only uh, local audiences that could be, that could uh, make these kinds of uh, differences. But of course, these these are just uh, minor examples. If we take the whole uh, work of these painters, including uh, uh, Bridgman, uh, we will see that they they have uh, uh, shown the, the Moroccan architecture uh, with authenticity. I'm thinking. I'm talking to you, and I am thinking about. Uh, Edwin Lord uh, Weeks, if we can talk a little bit uh, about him and about some of his uh, tableaus, uh, the architecture elements in his uh, paintings are uh, uh, really authentically uh, Moroccan because they are still until uh, today. If you if you have a look at the Gate of Shella, the painting which is entitled The Gate of Shella, Morocco, 1880, this gate is still there today. And of course, the uh, painter has uh, shown it with such beauty. It's pattern. It's arabesque. It's a, uh, if you come back to Aisha, uh, of course, the, the kind of Arabic is more arabesque, which is uh, behind her head, uh, on which, on which we have a part of the light coming from the outside. This kind of arabesque is more particularly Moroccan. You know that. Moroccan architecture, Moroccan uh, tile and uh, uh, yes, uh, flag, uh, flagging tiles. It's more uh, influenced by the Andalusian and they preserve this kind of Andalusian tradition in, 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 in architecture to the extent that it has distinguished Moroccan architecture from 
uh, other architectures of other countries, uh, uh, even from other uh, North African countries. So uh, for the painting, which is Aisha, Woman of Morocco, you have some, uh, as I said, some uh, arabesques uh, on the uh, and Arab, it's not calligraphy, just arabesque on, on, on the wall, which is uh, typically uh, a Moroccan, of Moroccan, Moroccan and Andalusian uh, touch and style. You focused yeah. on Tangier specifically. Did they yeah. visit other parts of Morocco? Um, or was, it, was activity really centered on Tangier? Yeah, okay. Uh, there is a little bit difference between Tangier and the other cities. The fact that Tangier, as I say, it was... Uh, a minor cosmopolitan city. It was peopled by um, both uh, Moors, I mean both Arabs and uh, uh, local people, and also by uh, a great number of uh, Europeans. So there was a system of, secure, of security in this uh, city. But this doesn't mean that uh, they they visited only uh, Tangier. If I take as an example um, Edward Lord uh, uh, Weeks. He uh, visited, uh, he came to Morocco in the winter of 1875, 1876. Then in later journeys, he visited many other Moroccan cities such as Tangier, Rabat, Mogador, and Marrakesh. Mogador today, we, we call it uh, Essaouira. It is on the Atlantic uh, uh, Ocean, like Rabat, which is the capital now of, uh, of, uh, of Morocco. Marrakesh, Marrakesh is in the hinterland and of course, he made uh, uh, he made uh, uh, paintings of all these cities that I have just mentioned, of Tangier, of scenes and, and scenes and spectacles in Tangier and Rabat, and even in Saleh, Saleh, which is uh, a city uh, which is close to Rabat. Of course, there is the river of Abu Raqraq, Bouragreg, which is separating between the city of Rabat and Saleh, and of course, on of Mogador and of uh, uh, Marrakesh. Uh, for instance, his painting, which is called uh, The River Crossing, he's talking about the river which is separating between these two cities of Rabat and uh, and uh, uh, Saleh. Uh, the open uh, market Morocco uh, painting is uh, uh, more, uh, I think it is, is made in, 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 in uh, uh, Marrakesh. If I should talk about... Uh, Edwin Lord Weeks and his uh, his um, his movement in Morocco and his itinerary, if you like. His, so his initial studies were in Paris at the Ecole des Beaux Arts um, School of uh, Fine Arts under Jean uh, Leon Jérôme. But his most important teacher was Leon Bonnat, who instilled in him the dual principles of absolute realism and love of uh, uh, color. This is according to Ulrich Hissinger. Uh, that is why we feel that his paintings, though orientalist in, in subjects and moods and in touch, they breathe uh, with realism. I mean, obviously, orientalism and, and even these painters, um, while there may be have, you know, sort of beautiful in their technique, their use of color, um, you know, there, there is a problematic side to these paintings, um, whether no. it's... It's kind of that Western male gaze. Um, it's exoticizing uh, Moroccans and, and Morocco. Um, so how do you receive it here in the 21st century? What do you make of these paintings? What kind of, um, what do we, what do we do with them? 
Yes, of course. If I may talk about how how I personally was perceiving these things at Please, the beginning yes. of my career. Yes, at the beginning of my career, uh, I was uh, uh, too much, if you like, influenced by this uh, Oriental uh, Orientalist uh, studies and uh, postcolonial studies, etc. And it, it, it and of course it it was playing a good a good a good uh, good role, if you like. It, it in its time, it, it was important to show. To Western people that we are not, as uh, some people are showing us, not only in painting, but maybe in, in travel writing and in, in some films, etc. But in what now, with, the, with, with a certain kind of distance, uh, you have both things. You have this kind of uh, Orientalist representation. Maybe the painters um, wanted, especially European ones. Wanted to show something sensational, something exotic, uh, so wanted to satisfy the taste of a certain audience. But of course, in doing so, for Moroccan painters, now I'm going to move into Moroccan painters, in doing this, in trying to go to the, to the Orient, especially to Morocco, I think there was a change. There was a, a kind of evolution, especially in the case uh, of these Americans, as I said before. So uh, for me, there is a touch of Orientalist uh, uh, style, if you like. But in addition to this, there is a kind of reproduction of Moroccan 19th century uh, reality and authenticity. I can see how our ancestors uh, were living and how they were uh, wearing their own costume, which, some of which we are still wearing today. Uh, so, so I, I can see that there is a great deal of realism and uh, of authenticity, and uh, and I, I I say thank you to those uh, painters because they did something at a time when there was uh, no photography. Maybe the, maybe there was some more photography in, in, in the states or in, in Europe, but in Morocco you have a lot of photographs, no photography, no camera, and then so it's it's a kind of popular history that you, that we can see in this painting. If you if you take all these paintings, we can reconstruct the social history of, of Moroccans, their architecture, their costume, their, their uh, scenes, their armed trader, their farrier, their uh, water carrier. Uh, yeah. All these uh, kinds of scenes and spectacles uh, that we have read about, which were exaggerated, once are made into a painting you cannot do much too, too much exaggeration. You can see reality. And of course, this was the case of these uh, American painters. So now with the distance in time and perspective, because we are in the 21st century. So we are distant in time and in, and also in perspective. Uh, I, I feel that I have uh, uh, read too much Orientalism and uh, written some papers on post-colonial land, uh, cross-cultural studies. But of course, with this kind of distance now, the pleasure of appreciating these works uh, of art is guaranteed for American audiences, but also guaranteed and doubled for Moroccan audiences, since they are, we are, the very subjects of the paintings. Fadid, thank you so much for speaking with us. Um, this is really useful. I think we think of Orientalism as a primary uh, uh European mode of artistic uh, expression and maybe a European sort of art movement. I mean, of, of course, acknowledging that Americans played a role, but really interesting to, to make this connection between um, American painters and Morocco and to talk a little bit about how the, the specifically American interpretations of 
Orientalism and how exactly what and and, and look like in painting. Yeah, and more particularly the veering away of American painting from those kinds of uh, uh, French uh, stereotypes and French Orientalist uh, style. I think this is a very important point uh, to, to to remember uh, on my side, on my part. Thanks for listening to Moroccan American. This podcast was recorded and produced by Graham Cornwell, that's me, and Amanda Brockler. The podcast intro and outro music is Coast Highway by A.A. Alto. Moroccan American is part of the Moroccan American Studies Initiative. Thanks to the Institute for Middle East Studies at the George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs. And finally, a big thank you to the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies and the U.S. Embassy at Rabat, whose support makes this project possible. Of course, the words and ideas expressed in this podcast series do not represent either of our sponsors. 